Coming up on The Exam Room. We've talked about in the past, like adding black pepper with turmeric to really extrapolate all the potential health benefits that come with the turmeric. Are there other kinds of foods that we should be pairing together to really make sure that we're able to draw everything out of them that we possibly can? Yeah, so I mentioned a moment ago that lycopene and the other carotenoids are fat soluble. And so what that means is that salsa or like guacamole, where we combine tomatoes with avocados, the fat content of the avocado is going to help to give us increased access. You're chopping up the tomato into small little pieces, and that's coming into contact with the avocado, which has been mashed. And when you're bringing this together, that fat content actually helps us to get better access to the lycopene because it is fat soluble. So that's another hack. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Kirkwood, Missouri, Hempstead, New York, and Waterford, Ireland. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 52 of season 6, number 448 overall. And this is a double header of health. Two big topics on hand today. Number one, maximizing your nutrients and getting the most out of what it is that you are eating. Because there can be a huge difference in the nutrition content of your food based off of how you're cooking it whether it's boiling or steaming or frying or eating it raw or even what foods you're eating together. It all makes a difference. And the how and the why is on the way from a two-time New York Times bestselling author, the gut health MD, the fiber-fueled phenom, Dr. Will Bolsowitz is back in the house with us today. Also on tap, a former NFL superstar, loses 100 pounds in just 40 days and he does it without food only water that's right we're talking about a mega 40 day water fast sounds risky so we're gonna strap up and head out onto the nutrition gridiron to get the lowdown on this mega water fast with Dr. B as well. Plus we open up the doctor's mailbag, grab a couple of questions from the exam roomies who tuned in live this week on Facebook and on YouTube. As a reminder, you can do that every Wednesday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. But let's not waste any time. Let's hop into this doubleheader. And first up, maximizing our nutrients, how to get the most out of the food that you're eating. Let's do it right now with our quarterback of health, Dr. Will Bolsowitz. What's up, man? What's up, man? Great to see you, Chuck. Thank you for having me on the show. Hello, everyone. Great to see you, man. I can't wait to dive into the Russell Lacung. That's the NFL player and the mega water fast and 40 days and 100 pounds. But we got to start with maximizing nutrients. I was flipping through your Instagram the other day and I come across you walking through the grocery store and you're talking about this. And I was like, man, you really did a great job of talking about that in 60 seconds, but we got more time than that here on the show. So let's unpack this. Um, how does somebody go about getting the most bang for their nutrition buck every single time they sit down to eat? Well, I think the number, the number one strategy, if you want to maximize the nutritional quality of your diet is to eat more plants. Um, that, that to me is the like rather clear starting point. And you know, we have measures of nutritional density. It's important to understand that when people talk about nutritional density, there actually are formulas that can be used to measure this. You don't get to just make up, you know, hey, that's nutritionally dense. Um, you don't get to just say things like that. There actually are measures of this. And the way that we measure it, Chuck, is by looking at how much uh, nutrition or how many nutrients you would receive in proportion to the number of calories that you're consuming. And when we do an exercise like that, what you find is that by far the most nutritionally dense foods are plant-based foods. And um, among them, the ones that really stand out 
are the greens. And the reason why, Chuck, is because greens have very, very few calories. I'll just give you a quick example. Uh, if you consume a tablespoon of oil, it, can, it contains about 100 calories. Um, oil is the most uh, calorically dense food that exists. And in order to match what you find in one tablespoon of oil, you would have to eat an entire pound of, um, of kale. And uh, I don't think many of us are capable of eating an entire pound of kale. That would be rather difficult. <laughs> so these greens are so incredibly nutri nutritionally dense. So that's, you know, that's really the starting point for this conversation, I think. Eat more plants. I like that. But let's do next level health. There's a reason why I put next level health in the title of this particular episode, because not only can we gravitate toward those more nutritionally dense foods that you were talking about, but you can take those and you can even by the way that you're cooking, the way that you're chopping, take them up still another notch. In your Instagram post, you were talking about really making sure that we knew about how to get the most lycopene out of a tomato. So if we're talking about maximizing nutrients, maximizing lycopene from a tomato. What are we talking about here, man? Yeah. So, uh, if you, if you take a tomato and you cook it specifically stew it or boil it or something along those lines, you actually, uh, transform the food and you enhance the availability of something called lycopene, which is a carotenoid. Carotenoids are responsible for many of the orange, red, and yellow colors that we see in plant-based foods. And um, so now it's interesting because uh, take a step back for a moment. I'm, I'm um, offering this question up to the people who are here live with us. Please jump into the chat box and answer for me. But like, have you ever noticed that when you when you cook a tomato, it tastes different, right? It tastes very different than, than it does when uh, you just eat it raw. And I propose that one of the things that has happened with the food is that you have made this nutrient lycopene more bioavailable. Now, Chuck, let me uh, unpack this uh, for a quick moment. Unpack, um, baby. I'll come back. I'll come back to it in a moment. But I, I think I think the takeaway point here is that raw food isn't always the healthiest form of food. Um, this is why I think having a combination of both cooked and uncooked food is really uh, a great way to go. It's really interesting to me that you say that. And I, I must agree with you a thousand percent about the tomatoes. There is a huge difference between slicing a tomato and putting it on a sandwich or on a salad versus what you would get in the stew example that you were just using. I find that a cooked tomato is actually a little bit sweeter. Maybe it draws out the natural sweetness, the sugars in it a little bit more as well. Um, and the other examples that you cited on your Instagram post uh, were carrots and broccoli. You were speaking specifically to carotenoids in those two instances. So what do we know about how to prepare those things to maximize those carotenoids? Yeah, so uh, let's take broccoli as a quick example here. So broccoli is a cruciferous vegetable. Cruciferous are, the, are this family of cancer-fighting vegetables that includes broccoli and kale and Brussels sprouts, um, just you know, as an as a few examples, cabbage. And um, and I'm a big fan actually of consuming these foods raw, and the reason why is because the cancer-fighting phytochemicals, which uh, we call isothiocyanates are um, more readily available in uncooked food. So again, when it comes to broccoli, like I think it's great to consume at least some of your broccoli raw to get some of these cancer-fighting phytochemicals. But that being said, uh, broccoli also contains carotenoids. And carotenoids, as I mentioned a moment ago, are things like lycopene, or in the case of carrots, beta-carotene, uh, often making up the colors that are red or yellow or orange, but can be existing in a green uh, vegetable, just like broccoli, because broccoli is green because of the chlorophyll content. Um, but chlorophyll isn't the only thing in there. There's a lot. There's a lot of good stuff in there. So anyway, if you, <clears throat> if you steam these foods or boil these foods, then much like tomatoes, you can unlock uh, the availability of these carotenoids. So, you know, with tomatoes, it's lycopene and with carrots, it's beta carotene. Um, but they come from the same family, these carotenoids that have antioxidant health promoting properties. And by boiling or steaming them, you are basically getting more access to them. Now I want to comment on this real quick, Chuck, 
because there's there's a theme here that I think is kind of interesting to help people understand why this specific cooking technique works. And the reason why is because um, these cooking techniques, uh, you are using water. So steaming or boiling, you are using water. And these carotenoids are what we call fat-soluble. So fat-soluble includes beta-carotene, lycopene, and the carotenoids. It also includes things like vitamins D, K, E. And the fat-soluble vitamins or carotenoids are not going to be lost as much when you cook them with water. On the flip side, Chuck, I mentioned in the video, if you fry carrots, and the same would be true, by the way, for broccoli or tomatoes, if you fry them, then you are going to substantially reduce the availability of carotenoids. And the reason why is the oil that you are using to fry those foods is actually going to draw out those uh, phytochemicals, and therefore you don't get access to them. So um, flip side, uh, there are certain vitamins that are water-soluble. These include vitamin C and the B vitamins. And the B vitamins uh, and vitamin C, you may get lower levels. So there's a trade-off. You may get lower levels when you cook with water, steaming or boiling. Um, so you may get less vitamin C from your carrots when you steam them or boil them. But again, like you're enhancing the beta carotene. So uh, so the, the bottom line here is that depending on whether you cook with oil or depending on whether you cook with, with water, it will affect the nutritional value of specific um, nutrients within the food. All right. Let's see if we can paint an ultra clear picture here. Um, I want to go back to what it was you were talking about when you're frying food. You you were using uh, carrots there, frying carrots specifically. So this is interesting to me because when you're talking, what I'm kind of picturing in my mind is not only are you frying out the healthy nutrients, but you're frying in all of the saturated fat, all of the unhealthy stuff that you really don't want. So you're kind of inverting the nutritional value of a particular food every time you dunk it in the fryer. Yeah, there is something, you know, when we fry, we're achieving temperatures that we're not able to achieve with water, right? Because the issue with water is that it gets to the boiling point and then it stops. It doesn't go above that temperature. Whereas when you cook with um, uh, frying or, for example, cooking on the grill, you're achieving much, much higher temperatures than you could ever achieve with, with steaming or boiling. Um, and there are consequences that come from this. And it can deconstruct the nutritional value or you can lose certain nutrients as a consequence of this. And is... Is there like one particular cooking method that is a surefire for every food across the board to maximize whether it be steaming or boiling or roasting or even microwaving? Or is it really dependent upon what that particular food is? You know, it, it really depends on the individual food and also the individual nutrients. So every single time we cook a food, we are in a way processing it. The word process when it comes to food is not something that we should be scared of. Um, processing is a, a normal part of consuming our food. I mean, literally, if you chop your food, you're processing it. If you chew your food, you are processing it. These are all things that are completely natural and normal. The part that we need to be sort of scared of and cringing is uh, ultra-processed, ultra-processed foods. And that's not what's happening when you take vegetables into your kitchen and do things with your, those vegetables. So uh, when, you, when you process your food, Chuck, there always will be some level of change that takes place. And it's kind of interesting because there was a microbiome study done at the University of California, San Francisco. Uh, the scientist, his name is Peter Turnbaugh. Peter Turnbaugh is a person that I've cited heavily his work uh, in my books. And so I, I admire his work. And um, basically what he showed is that if you take the exact same food and you serve it different ways, it will have different effects on the microbiome. So you know, I always talk about diversity of plants, but I would actually advocate not just for diversity of plants, but I would advocate for diversity of cooking techniques. And, um, you know, the other the other thing that I sh uh, should say about this is that um, there's no there's no one preferable cooking technique. But uh, if I were to if I were forced to select just one, it would probably be steaming. Um, there are certain specific scenarios where it seems that steaming really is enhancing the nutritional value. You know, for example, if you steam your greens, um, there are certain benefits that it has in terms of the ability of those greens to bind up bile acids. And when we bind up bile acids, 
we actually are improving our digestive health. We're also improving our metabolic health. And that's one of the ways in which greens actually lower our cholesterol. So, um, so I, I do think that steaming is great. It's just that I would advocate for multiple approaches. And Chuck, there's something that I didn't mention in the, in the 60 second uh, Instagram reel. What you got, what you got, what you got. Do tell, do tell. Well, I think there's also next level processing. Okay. Uh, it goes beyond like traditional kitchen techniques. Okay. And is what I would describe as allowing nature to do the work for us. Give us an example. Slow cooking at room temperature. So, yeah. <laughs> do what now? Yeah, yeah. I'm not talking about some sort of brisket thing or something. <laughs> um, I'm talking about room temperature. And basically, there's two things that I'm referring to here that I, I believe supercharge our food and really enhance nutritional value. And that is fermentation and sprouting. And the evidence is actually quite clear that in, in both of these cases, the food is transformed as a result of us going through this process. We'll start with fermentation uh, first. So when we ferment our food, it is transformed. It is, it is categorically different. And the benefits that we receive from this it, are that there are new vitamins. So I was mentioning B vitamins a moment ago. B vitamins are actually created by the microbes in the process of fermenting the food. Um, there are probiotics. So that's not something that we routinely get access to. There may be some probiotics on a very minor level when you consume raw uncooked foods. But when you ferment those foods, you are actually amplifying that at least 10, if not more than a, than tenfold, like potentially 100 or 1,000 fold. You are amplifying that in terms of access to, to living microbes, probiotic microbes. But you're also changing the, uh, the nutrients. So you are changing the fiber, changing the amino acids, changing the polyphenols, all of which we now get better access to the fiber, the protein, and the amino acids as a result, uh, I'm sorry, and the polyphenols as a result of fermentation. So there is a transformation that takes place where the end product is clearly distinctly different. And in, in the cases that I've reviewed, I mean, it's just like impossible for me to, you know, um, deny this, that, that it's very clear that the nutritional value is enhanced as a result of fermentation. There's other things that take place too. I mean, we reduce our anti-nutrient uh, content through fermentation as well. So like gluten content drops down substantially. So um, that's fermentation. When we talk about sprouting, it's amazing. You take, you give me a half of a cup of lentils uncooked and give me three days and about 15 minutes total. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that. And in those three days, I can make that go from a half of a cup of lentils up to four cups of lentils. And it can be completely organic um, and inexpensive. And it does not require soil. And it does not require a tremendous amount of space. We're talking about literally one square foot on your counter. That's it. Um, and you can do this and you are increasing the fiber content. You are increasing the uh, protein content. You are uh, increasing the presence of vitamins. Believe it or not, there's increased minerals, which I don't completely understand, but it must be that we get more access to them. We are reducing anti-nutrient content by sprouting our food. Um, and in many cases, you are enhancing specific phytochemicals as a result of sprouting. So an example of this uh, would be with broccoli. So we were talking about broccoli. I was talking about the cancer-fighting benefits of broccoli from isothiocyanates. And um, specifically, uh, when you um, sprout broccoli seeds, you increase the availability of a phytochemical called sulforaphane that is like an incredible cancer-fighting phytochemical and you get 50 to 100 times more sulforaphane in sprouted broccoli seeds than you would have in adult mature broccoli. And this is the point, is that fermentation and sprouting are like an incredible way to enhance the nutritional value of our food. It just takes time. See, you know what you just did there? I mean, like you basically morphed into Harry Potter because that is some nutrition wizardry that you just dropped on us. That's Awesome, man. That's what I love about you, man, is you bring the knowledge, you bring the science. It is great. And, and the lawn skills. And the, the top notch. I mean, 11 out of 10. 
11 yes. out of 10, my friend. If you have a question for the Wizard of Fiverr, go ahead and drop it in the comments or in the chat. We're going to open up the doctor's mailbag in just a little bit. First, a quick little roll call. Carlene says that this is her first time watching live. Carrie is tuning in from British Columbia. Hello. Pat, first time live, checking us out in Las Vegas today. Beth is in Tulsa. Seth, get this, all the way over in Uganda watching live. Mary is in San Jose. And Michelle says, buckle in your seats for Chuck and Dr. B. Hey, roomies. Yes. Man, that's a, that's a lot of fun, man. She's fired up to be here. Um, I'm digging that. One little bow I want to put on the maximized nutrient conversation here is also we've talked about in the past, like adding black pepper with turmeric to really extrapolate all the potential health benefits that come with the turmeric. Are there other kinds of foods that we should be pairing together to really make sure that we're able to draw everything out of them that we possibly can? Uh, yeah. So I, I mentioned a moment ago that if you, that lycopene, and the other carotenoids are fat soluble. And so what that means is that salsa, where we take tomatoes and combine it with, or like guacamole, where we combine tomatoes with avocados, the fat content of the avocado is going to help to gain, give us increased access. You're chopping up the tomato into small little pieces, and that's coming into contact with the avocado, which has been mashed. And when you're bringing this together, that fat content actually helps us to get better access to um, to the lycopene because it is fat soluble. So that's another hack. Harry Potter of nutrition, bro. I'm <laughs> telling you, straight wizardry, straight wizardry. But let's go ahead and change gears here for a second, because this is a double header of a show. And I'm sitting here the other day. And my wife texts me this article and just says, OMG, didn't you used to cover this guy when you were covering the NFL? And sure enough, for a few games, I did. This is a player by the name of Russell Okung. And the headline straight out of People Magazine. NFL player loses 100 pounds in just 40 days. 40 days on a water fast. You want to talk about a transformation. This is crazy. And the fact that this is a player on the level of Russell Okung is insane. Russell was an all-pro, I mean legendary, in Seattle. So I'm sitting here and I'm reading this article and I'm like, wow, this is, this is something. And then I got to think, well... Is this really safe? I know a lot of players face significant health challenges after they retire because of their size, but 40 days with nothing but water this super fast. I mean, is this even a healthy thing to do? That's a pretty prolonged water fast. Is that risky in your opinion? Well, I think there's a number of things that we have to discuss with this, Chuck. So, you know, first of all, <laughs> this is coming from a People magazine article. So, <laughs> it is indeed. It is yeah, indeed. This is this is not this is not peer-reviewed medical uh, journal. We don't we don't have the details, right? Like, I don't know what sort of um, uh, attention he received from his medical doctor. He may have had a tremendous amount of attention to make sure that everything was done in a very safe way. Blood, blood uh, lab values may have been drawn, you know, weekly during the process of him doing this. Um, so uh, I think that there are some unresolved questions that we just don't have uh, answers to. The fact that he did this and he did well with it is not evidence that the rest of us should be doing this is, is something that I think needs to be made perfectly clear. Like uh, if you're going to consider doing a prolonged anything, we should have studies that demonstrate the risks and the benefits. And anytime we make decisions in healthcare, um, whether it's my role as a physician or a person's role as the patient, ultimately choices are made because the benefit outweighs the risk. And if you don't truly know what the risk is, then it's really hard to make that assessment. And you're taking a, you're taking a huge risk if you don't know what those risks are. Um, because you can get yourself into trouble. And, you know, I do worry. I do worry about the average person going and doing something like this because they read that this guy had the success. I, you know, 
before we talk about what are the risks associated with this, I think that there are some extraordinary circumstances that exist here that need to be mentioned, which is the first of all, um, the gentleman is uh, a massive NFL uh, player. He also like literally used his body physically um, uh, to make a living. And so highly physically active, clearly to lose 100 pounds in 40 days, the level of physical activity that is required for that is actually substantial. Because to, um, to even if you have zero caloric intake, Chuck, to lose about a pound, we typically have to burn through uh, about 3,500 calories. So, and 3,500 calories, like to do that and lose 100 pounds, that is a lot of calories that you are burning through um, even on a daily basis, right? So two and a half pounds per day in order to lose 100 pounds in 40 days, that suggests to me that like we're looking at roughly a little under maybe... 9,250 or something of that variety in terms of the number of calories that you're burning per day to lose this amount of weight, even with zero calories coming in. None of us are burning 9,250 calories on a daily basis unless you're an extremely active athlete. Um, so I think that needs to be mentioned. Now, um, what happens when we uh, water fast? Well, there's a, a couple of things. First of all, um, there is the risk that it can affect your electrolyte uh, balance within your body. And this could manifest in a number of different ways. Low sodium, we call that hyponatremia. Low potassium, we call that hypokalemia. Low magnesium, hypomagnesemia. Um, if you're not taking electrolytes in, you're going to continue to urinate because you're drinking water. And this is going to deplete your bodily reserves. And this could potentially put you very rapidly in harm's way. Um, so you have to be extremely careful about your electrolytes. Again, this is one of the reasons why I'm wondering how often were they checking his blood work? It could negatively affect your kidneys. You could end up being, uh, actually dehydrated as a result, even though you're drinking water because, um, again, these electrolytes are thrown out of whack and then you may not adequately be perfusing your kidneys. This could affect your blood pressure in a number of different ways. It could affect your blood pressure where your blood pressure drops too low. Um, but it could also affect your blood pressure where your body is out of balance and it's actually clamping down and it's clamping down. And as a result of this, your heart is actually working harder and your blood pressure, believe it or not, actually goes up. Um, so there are a number of things that can potentially go wrong. And when we talk about gut, the gut, so I, I worry, I worry about what's happening with the gut. We do have evidence, Chuck, that when people fast for more than 24 hours, there are certain microbes in the gut that start to take over and they will actually consume the lining of the gut. There's a mucus layer that lines our gut. They will start to consume this mucus layer and thin it out. And as they thin it out, the risk of disease actually starts to go up. So I do worry about what happens when a person hasn't consumed any fiber for 40 days. Um, so again, like I personally don't think that putting out a message that encourages people to like, just kind of say, well, it worked for him. So it'll work for me. And therefore I'm going to just go do this. Like, that's a very dangerous proposition from my perspective. There's so many questions. Just one is a guy who's lost a lot of weight himself. Uh, two is a former sports reporter. Uh, but three, it's like, even though this guy started well over 300 pounds, 330 plus, does the body have, or how long can the body sustain um, its energy based solely off of what you have stored, that excess fat that you've got built up in the body that you then convert? Like, how long can you go? I mean, 40 days just seems like an inordinate amount of time. Well, I mean, I think like uh, a person who's got a lower body fat, you know, when, to, to bulk yourself up to be an offensive lineman, which they clearly do. You know, these guys, you watch them transform when they start as 18-year-old kids. They go to college and, like, they, they emerge as a different person. And it's not just muscle mass that they add. It's definitely, there's definitely added fat mass. Um, that's a completely different circumstance than, like, the average person who's out there, um, you know, in terms of uh, their body's ability to do something like this. So I do think that there's substantial risk associated with that, Chuck. Like, I, I don't think that I could come anywhere close to doing 40 days of fasting and and be safe, nor would, nor would I want to even test those waters because I don't really see what the payoff is. And, you know, I should mention, Chuck, that, you know, one of the things too is like, so you lose a hundred pounds. Okay. But what happens now? And if you don't transform your diet, 
into something that allows you to um, eat, you know, in abundance without restriction and yet simultaneously maintain a healthy metabolism and not overconsume. If you don't do that, you're just going to rebound. You're going to rebound and you're going to go back up. When you lose 100 pounds, you don't just lose fat mass. I think this is an important point. Uh, you lose muscle mass as well. So in this person, like he has lost muscle. Yes, he's lost fat. He's also lost muscle. And if he gains the weight back, what he's gaining back is not the muscle. He's gaining the fat. You can end up less healthy than when you started. So um, clearly to me, like these, the answer here is not a uh, binge like uh, or like some sort of like wild restriction of like binge of water or like a wild restriction on food. But like instead, the, the solution here is sustainability. What is the sustainable diet that you can actually maintain and that will help you to achieve your health related goals, including your body weight and metabolism? Yeah, that's an interesting thing. I was going to ask you about the muscle wasting that would occur with something like this. Obviously, I mean, I experienced that to a certain degree as well, you know, going from 420 down to where I am at, at 140. I mean, it's just impossible, I feel, for me to have that same amount of muscle that I had naturally just to carry around that mass of body weight with every single step that you take. I mean, I used to be able to leg press like 12, 13, 1400 pounds, no problem. Not sure I could get anywhere close to that uh, today. And I do wonder like what his true energy level was like, what his muscle mass was like at the end of these 40 days. Um, and there's also a lot of roomies right now in the chat, Dr. B, that are like, yeah, but is this going to be another situation like we saw with so many uh, contestants on The Biggest Loser who lost initially an extraordinary amount of weight, only to regain it very rapidly after the fact when they reintroduced food back into their diet. So I would think that with a shock to the system like this, the risk of having a significant rebound or regain would probably be pretty high here. Oh, exactly. And, that, and that's my point is like, if he doesn't change his diet, then he's just going to rebound back to what he was before. So uh, there needs to be a change in dietary strategy that uh, is required in order to maintain any level of the weight loss. But ultimately, like if there, if this, if weight loss ultimately requires a change in dietary strategy, this is ultimately what's required. Then what is the value? What is the benefit of doing the 100 day, uh, or I'm sorry, the 40 day water fast that to me has substantial risk? Why, why would you do that when you could just simply make the dietary change? Now, I, I will acknowledge that like dietary change obviously is not easy. I don't mean to make it sound like it's easy. If it was so easy, everyone would just do it. So there are there are challenges that exist there, um, and maybe there is a role for fasting prior to dietary change. That's something that's more controlled, perhaps shorter duration. I'm not I'm not saying that there's no role for fasting. It's it's just that ultimately he does need to change his diet. So I, I saw someone who said if he does a an appropriate uh, refeeding that he will gain muscle, not fat. Well, that's a dietary change. That's my point. Right. Uh, you know, but here's the thing. I mean, you're talking about breaking some old habits. Back when I was covering the Washington football team, I would get the opportunity from time to time to go out to eat with a lot of these guys. And let me tell you, they can put it away. I mean, there's a reason why these guys are well over 300 pounds. I mean, we would go to Buffalo Wild Wings, which was very close to the training facility out in Ashburn, Virginia. And we would sit down there and I wasn't even vegan at this point, but um, I mean, I would order a salad and I'd be pretty content with that. Maybe a potato on the side, still trying to keep it healthy. Didn't know much about a plant-based diet, but I would get ribbed to death by these guys because they would be ordering like two and three orders of wings with uh, a hamburger to go with that and some fries. And these guys would eat every last morsel that was on their plates and even the old 420 pound chuck would have been like 
these boys got some skill at the table. Let me tell you <laughs> what. I mean, but but you're right. I mean, you mentioned. I mean, it really was, man. It was mind blowing. But you you mentioned like you these athletes are taught when they reach that certain level to eat and eat and eat and eat. And even though we have taken strides in nutrition for athletes. There is still so much to learn that, you know, a lot of these guys really aren't doing much more than saying, I got to make sure that I get enough calories here to maintain this body mass and even put some more on. And they're not gravitating toward those healthy foods. It's hard to hit the reset button. I think perhaps the hardest thing is to reset how you eat, how you train yourself to eat, because it does, it takes a whole overhaul to do this. And even if you shock the system for 40 days, I think it would be really easy to go right on back to B-dubs and sit down with two or three plates of wings, Dr. B. Well, that's true. And what, and what you're describing, I mean, think of it about the amount of food that those, those guys are consuming, and that's wholly unnatural. <laughs> you're telling that's me. It's completely unnatural to be to be um consuming food like in that amount um uh without any uh sort of check on it and if you were consuming any level of fiber you would feel full and there's no way you would be able to eat that amount and the reason that they're like doing this is because they actually want the larger size as nfl players which i get but they make a health compromise in the process of doing this the rest of us are not trying to make money by being bigger human beings the rest of us actually are trying to generally speaking maintain like an ideal body weight if we can so that we derive the health benefits that come from that and um and so with that when you're doing something that's completely unnatural like that chuck if you could just make a transition towards something that's a little bit closer to normal like maybe including a salad in there right as a starting point that like it would actually those Russell Kung, as an example, he would he would lose a substantial amount of weight. I don't know about 100 pounds in 40 days, but he would lose a substantial amount of weight by making small tweaks to his diet to not be so sort of over the top and ridiculous with what he's eating. Okay, well, let's let's go ahead and put this argument to bed because there's another reason why these guys are gravitating toward these mountains of chicken wings and burgers for days and steaks and just meat 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 it's because they are in search of protein 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 it has been drilled into them since very early on in their playing days to get as much protein as possible now, I don't think that you may ever see this in any NFL locker room, even the one that was featured in Game Changers. But my question to you is this. If this mountain of a man was to sit down with a mountain of food, only instead of a mountain of chicken wings, it was a mountain of barbecued tofu, would they still get that same protein benefit that they're looking for? Well, you know, the issue is that the, the reason that they're able to get as much protein from those massive orders of chicken wings is that they, they never really achieve satiety because they're just consuming empty calories. And so they're able to eat, 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 eat in a completely unnatural way. And the difference is that gram for gram, ounce for ounce, the tofu holds up to the chicken. The protein content, gram for gram, ounce for ounce, holds up. But the problem is for them is that if they're trying to consume a ridiculous amount of protein, you know, um, uh, like 300 grams of protein a day or more, then in order to do that, it becomes a little bit more difficult with tofu because you get full. Tofu has fiber and it's going to make you feel full. That's the mm. issue. And let me ask you this, the gut health MD, what happened to the dude's microbiome, do you think, when he goes through such a drastic change? I mean, 40 days of straight water after years of indulging in very likely an unhealthy diet. How drastic of a change are we talking about in the span of 40 days here? You know, it's really hard. I'd be very curious, Chuck. I sincerely would. To, to see microbiome specimens. Um, and it's hard to speculate on this because the, the thing is that Chuck, we do have studies of many different varieties where people, when they lose weight, there are 
changes in the microbiome that simultaneously take place that people would say are beneficial. So there is, in a way, some expectation that the microbiome does make some beneficial changes in the process just as a result of weight loss, quite simply. Um, that being said, like the way in which he's going about this, where there's the, like zero consumption of fiber, I'd be very curious to see where that leaves his microbiome after 40 days, because we know that many of those same microbes that people like basically get more of when they lose weight, well, they're, they're losing weight and they're still consuming some fiber. In this case, he's not consuming any. So I'd be very curious to see where that lands. You know what I'm curious about, and this is strictly a juvenile question, is if this guy isn't eating anything for 40 days and all he's doing is drinking water, you got to figure he's peeing a lot. But is there anything happening on that other end? Like, is he going to go number two at all in the span of those 40 days? Well, he would still poop, believe it or not. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Hold up, hold up, hold up. Wait, 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 wait. Back this thing up. Flag on the plate. We got to go to the Telestrator. Break this one down for us. Help me understand. Okay, okay. So we have to consider that the the majority of the mass of our um, poop is actually microbes. So 60 or 70% of the weight of our poop is actually microbial. Therefore, most of our poop is not the undigested excrement from our food. That The undigested excrement from our food is actually a minority of the weight of our poop. Now, when you consume a, a fiber, uh, high fiber diet, uh, I'll give you a quick example, Chuck. Um, I imagine anyone can relate to this. If you put a soluble fiber supplement into your coffee and you stir it up, it will dissolve, it will disappear, and you will have a big bowel movement. Like not immediately. But you will notice that if you do this consistently, add soluble fiber to your coffee, you will have bigger bowel movements. The reason why is because that soluble fiber is actually food for your microbes. It's prebiotic. And when the microbes eat, they multiply and you get more of them. When you get more of them, there's more of a mass of microbes. And because they make up 60 to 70% of the weight of your stool, when you increase the mass of the microbes, you will increase the mass of the, of the poop. So like, High fiber, like big fiber consumers, big bowel movements. This is the way it works. Small fiber consumers, small bowel movements. I like being a big bowel movement kind of a guy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is actually a saying. um, It takes a man to admit that. Big big bowel movements, small hospitals. Small small bowel movements, you need big hospitals, right? Because there's a a correlation there. So, but anyway... um, the, the point, though, is that you still have a microbiome. You, you still have a microbiome. Chuck, I'll continue to carry the show. One Please day. do. I'm done. I'm yeah. done. <laughs> uh, you still have a microbiome. And although you're not necessarily helping the microbes to like multiply and grow in a powerful way because you're depriving them of their most essential nutrient, which is fiber, they're still there. You still have microbes. They're still turning over. Um, and as a result of this, they ultimately do need to be flushed out. And that's what our bowel movements are. It's the flushing out of our microbes that is routinely taking place. So, so because he still has a microbiome, I still expect him to poop. He's just not going to poop very much. Oh my God. All bowel movement kind of guy. I'm a big bowel movement guy. He I'm says a big bowel movement kind of guy. I'm a like, big bowel movement kind of guy. There are two kinds of people in this world, big bowel movement people and little bowel movement people. You sir are a big bowel movement person. Outstanding work. So proud of you. Thank Man, you. I love it. I'm not bashful about that. I mean, my God, do I love it when you're on this show. You just <laughs> make me so daggone happy, man. Oh, <laughs> oh man. Uh, let's uh, grab a couple of quick questions from the roomies. I mean, they've been flooding the mailbag. I don't want to uh, feel like everybody's being um, ignored here. Um, number one, let's grab a question from Teresa. This is actually at the uh, top of the starred stack, Ollie. Uh, number one, Teresa from Waikiki says, Aloha. Aloha. They don't want to lose any more weight. I don't think they've been on a 40-day water fast, but they've hit their bottom and they don't want to go any lower. So how can the person maintain their weight healthfully here and not continue to lose, like we saw Russell do, 100 pounds in 40 days? Yeah. Uh, the most important thing is, so one of the issues that takes place when people transition to a plant-based diet is they don't realize that they're not actually consuming enough calories. And in the beginning for that, for many of them, 
um, because they've gone plant-based, feel fatigue or get headaches, things like this. Um, so the key here is consuming an adequate amount of calories. And there are, num there are a number of different strategies that you can use, but consuming more calorically dense foods that are still healthy is probably the way that I would go about this, you know, as opposed to focusing on salads and things like this. It's still eat salads, don't get me wrong, but you want to make sure that you're getting your avocados, your nuts, your seeds, and a little bit of extra virgin olive oil. And I, I you know, I had a post about extra virgin olive oil the other day. I know it's a very divisive uh, topic. I don't think it needs to be a very divisive topic. I think we can agree that you can definitely be healthy and completely plant-based with or without oil. There may be some circumstances where I don't think oil is uh, appropriate, but there's also some circum circumstances like what we're talking about right here where oil is appropriate. Extra virgin olive oil. Do you think we get hung up in the oil conversation in terms of just like sheerly looking at the fat and calories there and not the totality of the nutrition of it? Because there is a big difference between the olive oil you're talking about and say palm or uh, coconut oil. I mean, huge differences nutritionally. Yeah, there is. And uh, and I actually advocate against, I've been very clear about this. I'm, I'm, I advocate against palm and coconut oil. Not to say that I never consume these things, but it's the overconsumption, the overconsumption of saturated fats. And um, so, you know, I, I think that there's a big difference there. And saturated fat is the number one driver of LDL cholesterol, which is associated with our risk of ultimately having heart disease, which is the number one killer in the United States. And it doesn't matter whether it comes from a plant source or a meat source. When you crank up your saturated fat intake, you are going to drive your LDL cholesterol up and increase your risk of having heart disease. So um, from my perspective, I don't see really uh, much value to those particular types of foods. But on the flip side, like the, I, I, as I mentioned in a post that I did recently, there's a study called PrediMed where they looked at people who are at high risk of having a heart attack. And they actually gave them, and it, like what I would describe as an absurd amount of extra virgin olive oil, four tablespoons per day. And yet the people who were consuming more four tablespoons per day of extra virgin olive oil were less likely to have a heart attack than the people who were on the lower fat diet. By the way, just to be clear, it was not a low fat diet. It was not. It was a lower fat diet. But still, I think, you know, we vilify our fats and we make it sound like these are wildly unhealthy foods. Chuck, nutrition is all about substitutions. If we make it sound like extra virgin olive oil is the least healthy thing on the planet, then we're missing out on the opportunity to get people who are consuming a lot of butter to replace that butter with extra virgin olive oil. And you know what would happen if they did that? They would be so much more healthy. We need to understand this is not just about a whole food plant-based diet. This is also about taking the average American, the average American in the United States is 10% plant-based. Let's try to get them moving in the right direction. It goes back to the better than what topic, better than what, you know, it amuses me when sometimes I'll post something about or mention on the show what I've been eating. And, and it all, I always go back to the one time I was writing about kimchi and somebody wrote in just with this scathing direct message about like just basically how I was a nutrition fraud because I was eating kimchi and it was so bad for me and this and that. But you have to keep in mind that you're sending this to somebody that used to eat literally 10,000 calories of junk every single day. Is there any universe in the world where you could tell me that kimchi is worse for you than a beef grilled stuffed burrito? The world that I'm living in, no chance that's ever happening. Chuck, a couple quick points that I want to uh, pull from the comment section. Thank you for the, everyone who's active in the comment section. I am reading what you're saying. Steven says, arguing over a tiny amount of olive oil has grown tiresome. And I agree. And the same is true for fermented foods. For people who are on a low salt diet, consuming some salt in fermented foods is not problematic. And we are being ridiculous. When you are still well below the excessive intake of salt, because you're consuming a very small amount of fermented food. Let's not like let these concepts drive us towards poor choices. Who are the healthiest people in the world in terms of being an industrial society right now, Chuck? 
Do you know who which country has the longest life expectancy? Ooh, uh, I mean, I would say Japan has to be up there. Um, it used to be. It used to be. They were replaced. It's South Korea. South Korea, South Korea is number one. Okay. South Korea has the longest life expectancy in the world. The, this is a population that consumes kimchi on a level that no American, unless you are literally from South Korea, no American is approximating this because they're consuming it at every single meal. Giddy up. I, and I think, you know, looking at the comments too, like I want to uh, give a quick shout out to Peter 5.0, who's made a lot of really nice comments during our conversation today. And one of the ones that he just made is that context matters. Context matters. This is important. So like we freak out about some of this stuff, but like at the end of the day, if you replace uh, extra virgin olive oil with legumes, with more beans, I'm going to take more beans. Give me more beans instead of extra virgin olive oil. But you know what? Extra virgin olive oil compared to all the junk fats that Americans are consuming right now, huge upgrade in terms of what they're eating. And in terms of gut health, Chuck, when it comes to fermented foods, which includes kimchi and other uh, fermented plants, you know, we're, we're, we're getting so focused on this one nutrient, the salt, and we're not seeing the big picture, which is that we now have randomized controlled data, randomized controlled data where people have a fermented food intervention and by the end of 10 weeks, they have increased the diversity within their micro microbiome. Show me something else that you can do that with. And during those 10 weeks, by the way, they reduced measures of inflammation. Show me something else that you can do that with. Let's stop bashing these foods based upon uh, some you know, myopic vision of the, just this one little nutrient. That's, that's nutritional reductionism. And when we do that, you know, in the plant-based community, we always say, let's not be reductionist. Let's not be reductionist. So let's not, let's agree that in the plant-based community, let's not be reductionist ourselves. There you go. I love it. I absolutely love it. And uh, let's wrap up today. I want to give a shout out to Rich S who says, Dr. B has helped me in my bodybuilding. By the way, Rich, I owe you an email. We're going to get you on the show because I love your story, brother. Dr. B has helped me in my bodybuilding, improve my gut microbiome a, a lot. Help me with the nutrients. He is 72, man, 72 and a bodybuilder. This guy, hashtag goals. I love everything that Rich is bringing to the table. Man, Dude, I saw that picture. He's 70. I can't believe he's 72. The picture was super small, but the guns were blazing. Dude. The guns were blazing. So then that's like, okay, cool. Just you wait. Tell me what I need to know. <laughs> we're going to get Rich on the show. We're going to get the full size, high resolution photos up here, and it's going to blow your mind yeah yeah man i feel like we had ourselves a master class here on the show today but no no in your world my friend there is plenty more of that still to come what do you have cooking up cool so those of you who uh know me and are familiar with my work you may know that i have been running a master class which has now settled into being a once a year thing and this is like effectively chuck i i view this as like you're going to microbiome school Microbiome School is going to be a seven-week, you know, program, uh, effectively like taking a college-level course. And I'm the professor, and I'm going to be there with you. And so I'm going to be in there in the like in the community. We have a community. We have conversations that exist um, in this community on a daily basis. I'm also there live doing Q and A's for the dedicated group that's going through my master class. Um, but then also you're going to be learning from videos and audio lessons, and case studies, and breakdowns of specific topics, and of course, the Q&As. And then there's the library. The library basically means that I have like literally dozens of hours of content from prior masterclasses that you get access to. You can, you can consume as much as you want to. Um, the masterclass, Chuck, this is my top course. My best course um, is my course that is looking at the big picture. And it also is something that I'm very proud of to say that people who have taken this course with me, 95 to 98% have finished the course, depending on which you know version of it, because it has evolved as it's gone. But 95 to 98% have finished this and said they would recommend this course to their friends. And that to me is really meaningful. That means they got something out of it.
That's huge. That is a huge positive rating. That just does not happen in a lot of things in life, man. That is awesome, which means people are digging what you're putting down, man. So um, registration opens, I believe, on June 26th. So here's what I want you to do. There's a link to that website. Dr. B's website is in the show description. Bookmark that. And then set a reminder. Tell Siri to do that for you right now. Set a reminder for June 26th. Get in. Register today for the master class. Unbelievable results. Unbelievable knowledge, man. That's just fantastic stuff. I'm really, really, really happy that you're bringing that back again this year. You know, and I just want to comment real quick. Joseph just said in the chat box, Dr. B's second book was better than the first. I really appreciate you saying that, Joseph. That was really nice to to hear that because I, I worked so hard on both of those books. Um, I'm proud of them. Uh, so, but it is, is meaningful to get messages like that. I really appreciate that. There it is right there. Yeah. And there's also a link to uh, pick up your copy of the fiber fueled cookbook in the show description and in the episode notes right now as well. This really is, man, this is a gem of a gem. Uh, we were talking a little bit about broccoli earlier. You've got a cheesy broccoli and potato soup in here that is just mind-blowingly good. That's on page 91. You're welcome. So, uh, man, Dr. B, the time has just flown by, my friend. I uh, can't wait for next month. It's always so much more fun when you are here and we can just play in this healthy sandbox together, man. This is just awesome on so many levels. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. And uh, in closing, I just want to say I am proud to be a big bowel movement kind of guy. <laughs> That's my dude. That is my dude. We're going to put that on a t-shirt for you, no doubt. Today's show was amazing. I loved today's show. And if there is one thing that I'm taking away from today's episode... It is not all of the extraordinary maximizing your nutrient conversation that we had, but it's the fact that you can go on a 40-day water fast and still have to go number two. Honestly, this is why I asked the questions and I am not the nutrition expert. I had no idea that if you're just drinking water, staying hydrated, but not eating food, you would still have to make a bowel movement. Who knew? Well, Dr. Bolsowitz did. And I'm telling you this much. I'm telling you this much. That is the kind of information that you will only get right here on the Exam Room Podcast. Man, such a great show. Such a great show. Be sure to sign up for his masterclass. Again, you can click that link in the episode notes to go ahead and do that. Registration opens on June 26th. Go ahead and hit up his website, theplantfedgut.com, or click that link in the episode notes. It's your friend, Rip Esselstyn. Come get Plant Strong with me on July 12th in New York City. I'll be helping to celebrate an incredible 14 million downloads of the Exam Room Podcast with the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. My doctor friends, Neil Barnard and Robert Osfeld, will also be there to make a toast to the most heart-healthy night of your life. Lower blood pressure, lower cholesterol, lower the risk of heart disease or even reversing it. Plus, foods and tips that will help get you to chart a new course to a healthier future. But to get there, you have to be there in New York City, the Big Apple. Don't wait, get your tickets today, and I'll see you on July 12th. Congratulations, Chuck, and now let's all get planned strong together. Today's episode of The Exam Room Live has been sponsored by Samantha Salmon. And let me tell you about Samantha. I had the opportunity to get together with her recently, and she is epic. She is just an epic human being. She is an author. She's a restaurateur. She is a podcast host. She is a certified integrative nutrition coach. And let me tell you, she loves, I mean loves, loves some raw food. She also happens to be a big sponsor of our exam room live and in-person event in New York on July 12th. Now, let me tell you another cool thing about Samantha. Her plant-based journey 
has led her to a vibrant life and a passion for health that are at the very foundation of her coaching services. So you can empower yourself right now and discover which of Samantha's programs can help you today. Visit rawfoodmealplanner.com. That's rawfoodmealplanner.com to find out more. rawfoodmealplanner.com. And there is a link to Samantha's website right now in the episode notes. And don't forget, as you're clicking around, also be sure to head over to Apple Podcast or Spotify, wherever it is that you get your shows, and click that follow or subscribe button for the Exam Room Podcast by the Physicians Committee and leave a five-star rating. That is how we help educate and inspire and raise health IQs all around the world. And for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to my good friend, the Gut Health MD, the fiber-fueled quarterback, the fiber-fueled first ballot nutrition hall of famer, Dr. Will Bolsowitz. Such a good show today, man. Thank you so very much for being here, inspiring us and raising our health IQs. And for everyone at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based.